We're joined by former NFL defensive back and current broadcaster Solomon Wilcox, who talks to us about the Giants draft, gives us his takes, and he talks about a special initiative he's involved with in his spare time. That's coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast, brought to you in part by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, lines, odds than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you, and as always, folks, thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day, or if watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. And I'm really excited to have this next guest with me. We've been doing guests all week, but this gentleman in particular, I'm excited to have on. And uh, this is Solomon Wilcox. You might remember him from his days. Uh, as a former Bengals player, he is a also a longtime NFL broadcaster and analyst, does a great job. He's been on Sirius, um, I believe the NFL.com website, and he's got a new initiative that he's been working with for the betterment of player health and safety involving ALS. And he's going to talk about that later with us on the program. But first, Solomon, as always, thank you so much for coming on and welcome well, Patricia, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you um, and uh, looking forward to talking about some Giants football um, and really just spreading the message uh, about fighting uh, this dreaded disease known as ALS or Lou Garrett's disease. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a serious one. And it's been mm-hmm. in the forefront of news, um, yeah. you know, with Steve Gleason and some other players who have, you know, unfortunately contracted it. And we'll talk all about that and uh, some interesting stuff, folks. You will want to stick around throughout the podcast to hear what Solomon has to say. But first, let's jump into the draft. Solomon, I got to get your overall uh, opinion on this draft. Now, this was kind of a weird draft in that no yeah. quarterbacks, there really wasn't a, a big demand for quarterbacks. I think we had one go on day two. Two or two, maybe it was. But uh, have you ever recalled a draft being this weird with the quarterbacks not going so high? And not, not to mention that you're right. The quarterbacks, everybody was like, "Oh, we're not in the quarterback business." They wanted to get veteran quarterbacks more than they wanted some of the rookies, which come a little bit cheaper on the rookie contract, right? And it was only Kenny Pickett um, from the University of Pittsburgh that went to the Pittsburgh Steelers with the 20th overall pick. He was the only guy at the quarterback position to go in the first round. Um, All the rest had to wait until the third round, which is where we really thought most of them would go. We kind of compared them to Davis Mills in last year's draft. As you remember, the rookie that came out of Stanford playing for the Houston Texans. And one year later, he's a starter. And so there is hope for Malik Willis and some of the other guys, Matt Corral, um, as well as Desmond Ritter. Um, and so there's hope for these guys, even though they're third round picks, someday they could be a starter in the NFL, providing they continue to grow and develop. Yeah, stranger things have happened. I mean, uh, some kid by the name of Tom Brady kind of worked out and he was a day three <laughs> pick, right? So. He sure was a six round pick. Uh, yeah. But this, this draft, this draft was just very interesting. A lot of movement, a lot of trades, 
a lot of teams moving up the board, teams looking to move down, mm. uh, multiple teams with, with multiple picks in the first round. And we saw um, a couple of teams trade away their veteran wide receivers. We know the market yeah. has moved for wide receivers. Instead of paying those guys, they rather trade them away. And then you saw one team in the Philadelphia Eagles who've been trying to draft a wide receiver for years. Not only did they trade for a veteran receiver, they immediately signed A.J. Brown to a four-year, $100 million contract. That's how much they believed in him. Wow. Don't you wish you had those contracts back in the day? I mean, goodness. Oh, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Absolutely. All right. We won't, we won't go there. We won't go there. All right. Solomon, I want to ask you about how the top of the first round unfolded because the Giants had two picks, obviously, in the first round, five and seven. There was rumors that they might go Charles Cross. There was also rumors that they wanted to get out of number seven. I don't think the top of the first round could have gone any better for the Giants. What were your thoughts when you saw the two cornerbacks come off the board as opposed to, you know, Hutchinson, who did come off the board, but Thibodeau, that didn't come off the board until the Giants took him? Typically, if you're like the Giants, right, if you are a loaded team um, and you end up with a couple of picks that high, maybe you look to trade down and get more picks because you already have a solid and set roster. But I think even more so because they have a new general manager in Joe Shane, a new head coach in Brian Dable. They want their players inserted into their new offense and defensive systems. And you want to be able to build around what we call foundational players. Well, if you're picking twice in the top 10, you're going to get two guys that are that really should be foundational and guys you can build around. So I think it felt perfect for them because if you were to ask me what do they – what do they want and what do they need? How do you marry the wants with the needs? Let's continue to rebuild and uh, refurbish the offensive line. That's right, to protect the quarterback, Daniel Jones, to really help your runner and Saquon Barkley. And if you can get an exotic, elite pass rusher like Kevon Thibodeau, then you do it. And you don't trade out of that because you're not going to get them later, Patricia. So you're right. I, I thought the board fell perfectly in a line, not only with the Giants' needs, but with what they wanted, what they truly wanted to get when you talk about foundational players on your offense and defensive line. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to believe, and I was sitting at the uh, the Quest uh, that night, I have to believe that they were cheering the way the board was falling. I mean, there oh, was yeah. some talk that they might go cornerback, but when Thibodeau was there, um, I, I'm sure Joe Shane was doing backflips up and down Route 3 because he's like, right. oh, my gosh, who, who thought he was going to fall that far? But, um, you know, let's talk about Thibodeau, if we could, for a moment mm -hmm. here. A lot of people, I've seen comparisons to a young Ray Lewis. I've seen some compare his swagger to Lawrence Taylor, who, you know, was probably Oof, is wow. the greatest player to, you know, defensive player to ever take the field no disrespect to anybody else but yes. he changed the game yeah. um you know yeah. i've seen some people say that he's going to be as good as you know as a reggie White. i mean are they putting too much expectation on this young man i mean what can can you what do you think we can realistically expect from him based on what we saw in oregon and uh his skill set there is no doubt if you're comparing him to reggie white and lawrence taylor way over the top yeah way premature now he's got the potential to be a very good football player year in, year out. I liken him to the best edge rusher in this year's draft simply because he's the most explosive. He demonstrated the, the greatest quickness, the greatest get-off 
of any of the edge rushers in this year's draft class. And I got to tell you, Patricia, that's saying a lot because the ones that were in this draft class, there are a lot of them who are really good, including uh, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, the talented All-American from the University of Michigan. But Kevon Thibodeau is a unique player because he's big. He's got that long uh, reach and the long arms and length that you want from an edge rusher. More importantly, he's got the speed, the quickness, the get off. Um, and then as he continues to develop um, and, and have multiple schemes to get to the quarterback, multiple ways of doing it, not just going around the hump, but the swim up, up and over to be able to come underneath, to be able to work with others on the defensive line. He's going to be productive, uh, but he's also, I think, going to be a good player for a long time. I, and listen, I love his personality. Mm. I, I'm going to tell you right now, the, the kid is smart. He, um, he sees the world in a very positive light. Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, how can you knock a football player who's got to throw, he's got to turn on a whole nother switch now when he goes out and play a football game. Sure. And, and I've already seen him do that. So I don't have any concern about that, but I love um, players that can come to work and do the, whether it's the interviews whether it's practice or whether it's games and do it with this air of positivity with a smile on their face that's the kind of player that we deem to be a force multiplier that makes everyone else in the locker room glad to be his teammate. So that's a, that's a special player that the Giants just drafted in Kevon Thibodeau. Yes. And you know, that's something that they've been missing for a while. I think the last time they had that kind of swagger, you'd have to go back to 2011 when they had Antrell roll maybe on that team. I think that's how far back you've got to go. I, I, I'll go with another guy too. Cause Antrell roll is a good one by you. I'll go with a Michael Strahan. Michael I'll go Strahan. with a Michael. I'll mm-hmm. go with that personality, mm-hmm. with that energy, right? That mm-hmm. ever he just he made coming to work fun. Uh, yeah. You know, he made it cool to be a New York Giant. I mean, let's let's be honest. And so it's good to see them have a player like that coming into the locker room. And I, I think the young players, I think the entire organization is going to enjoy having him on the team. Yeah, I can't wait to meet him for sure. Now let's talk about the other first-round pick, Evan Neal, offensive tackle. Now, for years, the Giants' offensive (laughs) line has been like a Rubik's Cube that nobody's been able to to, to solve. Do you think now, given what Shane has done, you know, he signed veterans mostly for the interior. He Mm -hmm. went with, he's going with Andrew Thomas at left tackle. Um, Neal's going to project at right tackle, and they have a couple of young guys that they're going to develop. On paper, and I know we have to see them with the pads on, but on paper, is this line maybe a few steps closer to being solved? Yeah, look, uh, John Feliciano and Mark Glowinski were two of the guys they signed that you mentioned, the interior guys, um, in free agency. Um, and uh, Brian Dable knows them very well. Um, so does Joe Shane. I think that gives you a chance to to get better on the offensive line sooner Rather than later, when you when you bring in the rookies, you kind of have to you know, they're going to go through some growing pains. And we've seen Andrew Thomas at the left tackle position go through some of those growing pains. Evan Neal, while he played left tackle um, during his final season at Alabama early in his career, he played right tackle. In fact, he's played both right and left tackle. He's a he's more of a natural right tackle. So he's going to once he goes back to that right tackle position. I think he's a plug-and-play player right now. I mean, that's what you hope when you take a guy in the top 10 
But he fits not only the need, but as I said, the want. And I think he checks all the boxes because he's tough. He's physical. He's almost like the opposite of Kevon Thibodeau. This guy's a young, very serious, very down to business. He, that's what you want on your offensive line now. <laughs> you know, guy who's got some, got a mean streak about him. And he's going to, I think he's going to give the Giants some of the toughness they've been looking for up front on that offensive line. And if this offensive line and all those names that we just gave you, Patricia, if they call, if they come together to create a, a really good uh, front in front of Daniel Jones and in front of Saquon Barkley, now we can finally see their talents unleashed. Uh, it's been a problem over the last few years. Um, as an offensive player, you only can do so much. I always say touchdowns follow good blocking, not the other way around. And if you don't have good blocking, the touchdowns are going to be hard to come by. Sure. And then the Giants proved that last year. I mean, the offensive <laughs> oh, yes. line was yeah. like a, you know, I hate to say it, I don't, but they, they were like a turnstile. And yeah. Daniel Jones, we still don't know what we have in him, you know, here at the Giants. You know, they've got, they finally have what they think is going to be a solid system that complements him. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, knock on wood, they'll have healthy receivers and running backs and tight ends, something that they didn't really have last year. Right. We'll come back to Daniel Jones in a minute, but I have to ask you about day two of the Giants draft and in particular mm-hmm. the one guy that had a lot of Giant fans going what are they doing and that is the receiver from Kentucky Wandell Robinson now to me I think Wandell Robinson is going to be is a scheme specific player he has a specific skill set that fits within a certain niche within within a scheme what do you see when you look at him on tape? What can he do? What can he bring to the offense? Maybe give us a little hint as to what maybe Dable's going to run from his days at uh, Buffalo. Well, Brian Dable, what he wants to do, he wants to attack down the field vertically. Okay. <laughs> he, he wants to get receivers down the field vertically. And even um, as they continue to be consistent in pushing the ball down the field, what he'll do is lift coverage after striking down the field and they like to bring crossers across the field to those vacated areas and then get the ball to receive it like a, you know, like uh, Rondell um, Robinson and allow him to create yards after the catch. So if you can catch it and run with it, you fit in Brian Dable's offense. If you can get uh, beyond the secondary and catch the ball uh, as a vertical uh, pass receiver, you're going to fit in Brian Dable's offense. Um, I, it's very multiple in terms of the guys that he wants. And I like him, just go back and look at a young receiver like Gabriel Davis um, for the Buffalo Bills. In year two, you saw him in the playoff game, the divisional round game against the Kansas City Chiefs, four touchdown receptions. He was good as a rookie, got better in his second year. And so you're going to see uh, receivers um, be able to produce early. You know, this isn't a system that you got to be in for a long time in order to be productive. I think we saw that um, uh, with many players who have played in Brian Dable's offense. It's going to be explosive for sure. And he's also a guy who could probably take some snaps from the backfield, much like Kadarius Toney can. They they call him, I guess, the human joystick. But uh, I I call him, you know, it's versatility. It's basically what it is. Wow. Listen, uh, if if they can get Kadarius Toney the ball, whether it's in the jet sweep, whether it is in the screen game, the bubble screen game to the outside and allow him to what we call create yards after the catch, the offense is going to explode. The offense will open up. I just think a healthy Saquon Barkley is going to be enough for defenses to deal with. 
that if the offensive line is right, and I think it will be, um, I think this offense is going to have an opportunity to be a stark contrast to what we saw the last couple of years. I mean, night and day, Patricia. It's going to be, I think there's going to be huge improvement. Oh, I certainly hope so. Now, before I move off the draft, and then I want to ask you a little bit about Daniel Jones and some of the veterans on the Giants. Before we get to your initiative, folks, stay tuned for that. You won't want to miss that. When you look at the rest of the Giants draft, you know, again, a lot of people are like lukewarm on it. I think there's some value in there, but I want to get your opinion. Who are some of those day two, day three picks that you think are maybe flying under the radar right now, but who could potentially be names that will start catching attention? I, I really do believe, uh, and I work with Bill Polian on our um, the opening drive on Series XM NFL Radio. He talks about 80% of the players who are starting in the National Football League who turn out to be the really productive players, they come in the first three rounds. He said, yeah, you can get some players who are undrafted that might pop for you or some other guys. They end up being the backups. They're going to fill in your special teams. But really, it is at the top of the draft. Those are going to be the guys that are going to win the games for you. They're going to be the guys that have to carry the workload. But I thought they did a good job in the third round. Joshua, um, I'm trying to hope I'm saying his name right. It's the offensive guard out of the University of North Carolina. Big guy who can anchor and really good at the run game when it comes to getting movement up front. If you go back to not to the 2021 season, but go back to 2020, the offensive line for the uh, North Carolina Tar Heels, they have two running backs. One, you might know Mark Michael Carter, the running back with the mm-hmm. Jets, but also Javante Williams, who's playing with the Denver Broncos. This offense at times were unstoppable when they had those two runners and uh, they had Elijah Moore, who, you, you know, I'm sorry, Elijah Moore was, was down at Ole Miss. Uh, But I really was just trying to really point to the fact that it was an offense that could run the ball. And um, this offensive line, I think, is going to be made better by a third-round pick that nobody really expects to do much. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be a starter. I think he'll be in the mix for starter. Absolutely. But, but, you know, like I said, they they basically, their cupboard was bare at, at the offensive line spot. They had no young talent. They've added a few guys now that they can develop just to keep that, you know, churning that uh, offensive line over and over because most of their guys are signed to one-year deals. They're not all going to be re-signed at the end of the year. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, BetOnline.net is the only place that offers the best information on the latest odds, contests, and player props for all your sports betting needs. No matter what sport you're into, BetOnline.net has you covered. Plus, they offer everything you need to know for live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head on over to BetOnline.net today to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline where the game starts. All right, Solomon, I want to talk a little bit about some of the veterans on the Giants team. Specifically, let's start with Daniel Jones. Now, big year for him. The Giants decided not to pick up his his option year, which was not a surprise. Financially, it made a whole lot of sense not to do it. But, you know, a lot of people, they say, oh, Daniel didn't have the offensive line. He didn't have the consistency. He didn't have this. He didn't have that. It just sounds like a lot of excuses. And and I'm not saying that those aren't valid excuses, but how much of his struggles or slowness in his development are on him? What can he do better 
outside of you know the scheme and the, the talent around him what can he do better yeah i think i think the giants would even admit that if you were to ask the question has daniel jones failed the new york giants or have the giants failed daniel jones i, I think even in the front office they would say they failed the player i mean now I think you asked a really valid question. To what extent has he failed the team? And that is the inability to protect the football. Because he's had multiple coordinators, multiple play callers in his ear. Um, It's an offense that really has lacked imagination. Hasn't really used the talent brought in. And Kenny Galladay, we already talked about Kadarius Toney. I mean, there's no real attempt to integrate these really good players into an offensive system that allowed Daniel Jones to be effective and efficient, right? So we know the systems and even the coaching staff, I think to a certain degree, let the young quarterback down because young quarterbacks need coaches that are going to put them in a good system and put players around them and then teach them how to operate within it. I don't think he had any of those things consistently, but I think what he could do better, just getting off the bus, ball protection, ball carriage, You don't hold the ball here. You don't hold it low. You don't hold it up high. You got to hold it right here in the sternum. So if they come from the blind side, you still have it close to the chest and you have it high, what we call high and tight. If they hit you coming from, you have to have both hands on the ball. You can't hold it loose and away from the body in one hand. (laughs) I can tell you that. And so we saw him doing these things and I'm like, these are things that he should have been taught at the, at the, at the, at the college level for sure. But even if the coach didn't harp on it, you come into this league, those are the things that you got to know. And if you're going to be effective at holding on to the ball, and quarterbacks have to, number one thing is ball security. Got to be able to protect the ball. You cannot be a turnover machine because it's going to be hard to win ball games if you are. And so in that sense, he, he's played a role um, in his own, um, you know, sort of uh, regression as a young quarterback. I, I'm, I like him. I think he's displayed some toughness. I think he has, you'll like this. He's probably, he's got that personality like an Eli Manning where I think the, you and I know it could be tough to be a quarterback in New York, right? You're going to hear it, but I think he has some of that Eli Manning quotient where it just rolls off his back. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to impact him emotionally and affect him in a negative. He's got a great sense of who he is. He doesn't need to control the room. The guy's got enough athleticism about him where I think he can be a special player, but I think it does start with protecting the football. But I think Brian Dable is what he needed. He needs a coach that comes with a very unique offensive plan that allows him to do a lot of different things. It's multiple. And I think Daniel Jones has the physical talent. He's got the mental makeup and the temperament to, I think, be a good quarterback in the NFL. It's just that it's got to happen this year, right? If it's going to happen in New York with the Giants, it's got to happen in 2022. And a lot of people already writing him off, I might add. But let me ask you about one thing that kind of always bugged me about him that I think is purely on him. A lot of times his decision-making, it's it's like he's throwing the ball into windows that don't exist. He's holding on to the ball maybe a little too long, you know, doing the old burping the baby, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you do. He's just patting the bag. Yeah, got it. Yeah. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's it, it's no. like almost like it. There's his his uh, the clock in his head is not. It's it's off. I guess is what I'm saying. Now I don't know if that's because the offensive line. You know, he thinks, oh my god, 
I'm going to get hit. I don't know if it's because the receivers are not running the right routes or I, I can't put my finger on it, but I do see, you know, when I watch him, some, some throws, you, you sit there and you go, dude, what were you thinking? Do you see that as well? Uh, there's no doubt. You see some slow processing, but not all the time. There are times when I see the ball come out accurately on time and, and really good in a good phase. I think it's a byproduct of one. He needs to continue to be drilled on, on, on increasing his clock. He also has to be given a playbook that allow him to build this rhythm that gets the ball out quickly. I thought a lot of time. listen, they go seven step drop. He's meant to hold onto the ball. You and I both know at times the receivers have failed him. I can remember many times him hitting Evan Ingram and Evan is not, he's not on the same page. I mean, I could go with some other names as well. So it just seems like this is an offense and it was a system and a, um, the entire operation was misaligned. That impacts the quarterback more than it does anyone else. And um, so now I think we can more rightly judge, you know, he's going into his fourth season. He started a lot of games early in his career. I mean, here's a guy that should have enough experience now going into year number four, where we ought to be able to see greater consistency. Right. And we ought to see him clean up some of these calamities that, that you and I have been talking about, whether it's not carrying the ball properly to, to protect it, not turn it over or just getting the ball out um, and, and not burping the baby, so to speak, not sitting there just patting the ball longer yeah. than he should. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Maybe with a better offensive line and, you know, they got to get Barkley involved. I mean, the fact that they how many offensive coordinators haven't been able to get this, figure out how to get this guy into space more often, um, yeah. you know, getting Kadarius Tony the best out of him. And, goodness, if I had told you Kenny Galladay would have no touchdown receptions last year, would you have believed me? That's just that, listen. Wow. That's bad on everybody. Yeah, that's bad on everybody. It, it's listen. You you know you go out even if the GM signed a player you don't want. This we know what Kenny Galladay can do because mm-hmm. we saw him do it in Detroit for crying out loud. Yeah, the guy's a big play waiting to happen, and I didn't even see him push the ball down the field doing once. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was as if I don't know. Coaching staff were trying to send a message to the GM. We don't want him or something. But you've got to. You gotta, you gotta use the players. You only get a limited few to have at your disposal during a given season. Better use the one you got. Uh, but Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony, there was not even an attempt, at least in my mind, in my opinion, to use those players the way that they should have been used. I absolutely agree with you, and it was very frustrating to say the least. Yeah. Now, before we get too uh, clean, which is your initiative you're involved with, I just want to get your take real quick. On the defense, Don Martindale, Wink Martindale, whatever you want to call him, um, comes with a very aggressive Mm -hmm. uh, reputation. You know, a guy who's going to throw everything at you, including the kitchen sink. When you look at, you know, what he has done in the past in Baltimore, you look at the Giants' defensive talent they've added, and they did put an emphasis on the defense in the draft. I think they had, uh, of their 11 players, six were defensive players. Um, the returning guys like Ojulari, McKinney, uh, Blake Martinez is coming back. I mean, t- what do you see with that defense and what do you think we might expect beyond, you know, the aggressiveness? Is it going to be exotic? Is it going to be straightforward? I mean, what, what do you anticipate with Wink? Yeah, well, Don Martindale now, he, he, he hadn't seen a quarterback yet 
that he doesn't want to blitz. Okay. <laughs> so, so he, and that's so, dangerous too. If you don't have coverage guys. Well, that's what happened in Baltimore. I got to see him a lot. Now it works when you have the corners, right? Mm-hmm. Remember he had a Marcus Peters high yield on the intercept list, a guy who can play man to man coverage, um, Marlon Humphreys, right? Talented corners. Um, but then when he lost those guys, then that's when it all started to fall apart. So it's really about uh, these amoeba packages where you're having guys stand around at the line of scrimmage. You don't know who's got their hand down. You don't know who's up. You don't know who's coming. Makes it hard for offensive linemen to count. I love what he does defensively. I love the way that he confuses offensive lines. Um, and by the time they figure it out, it's too late because everybody's quick, fast, hitting, getting upfield. Um, and it's going to be great to have a player like Kayvon Thibodeau uh, within this offense operating in that system. But you and I both know this is a team that's up against the cap. We don't know if James Bradbury is going to even be back. I guarantee you, um, Wink Martindale is in there every day. I got, Can I at least have James Bradbury? Come on, Joe Shane. <laughs> but no, it looks like Brad is, it looks like James Bradbury is going to be on his way out, who I think is a really talented corner. And would fit good in this system. So tell me who's going to, while you're blitzing the quarterback and sending everybody at them, who's covering on the back end? Because that was the same problem that um, Don Martindale had in, in Baltimore with the Ravens last year. It was so bad that in the first game against the Bengals, um, Joe Burrow carved them up for well over 350 yards. And then you would think he would, develop maybe a more milder approach considering he was without both of his starting corners. No, he even forecasted. No, I'm coming after the for the second year quarterback in Joe Burrow. Well, Joe had over 400 yards. <laughs> it was, it went from bad to worse. Uh, and, uh, and, and then that's when uh, John Harbaugh um, allowed you guys to hire Don Martindale as your defense coordinator. Yeah. I think uh, it, it, as we record this, James Bradbury is still on the roster, but yeah, yes, I do is. think he's on the way out. Unfortunate yeah. because you know it's just a, he's a victim of the, of the mismanagement of the salary yes. cap, yes. which you know I, it, it was just a disaster what they were doing. I saw last year as this was coming together, I said, why are they doing this? If they get injuries, if they don't make the playoffs, this whole thing's going to blow up in their face. And yeah. now Joe Shane has had to make some very difficult decisions. You wouldn't cut a, cut a James Bradbury no. ordinarily. You, you wouldn't no, you even wouldn't. think of getting rid of him. No, no. But here and, we are. And, and, it, and I know they might be trying to get a trade. I think they've tried to get him to take a pay cut. He's smart enough to know his value. He's not going to sure. take the pay cut. I think he's due at $13.6 million Something for the like upcoming that. season. But he has a cap figure of like $21 million, mm-hmm. right? Because they did a restructure last did a restructure, year. Exactly. And so now that, that cap number is very high, he's a talented player. Sure. I could tell you, as soon as they release him, that, phone, him that phone's going to be ringing now. He, oh, I don't he, doubt he, it. He won't be on the street for five minutes. He is a talented player. Um, and I'm hearing there's a lot of teams who are, who are like on the James Bradbury watch list. They're just sitting there and watching and waiting. Um, so I, I think that I think Joe Shane is trying to figure out a way to make it happen, but I don't I don't see a way around it. I really don't. I mean, unless they tack on extra voidable years, but then they've got to carry that contract on the books for you know multiple years, which I don't think he wants to do. No, he I wants to get rid of all the all the Dave Gettleman guys. I mean, that's be you and I both know. 
you want to divorce that as soon as you possibly can yeah. and move on. That and you don't that's want kind that of, reminder. That's the phase they're in. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's kind of like the alimony. You know, you're you're paying alimony <laughs> with the dead the dead cat money. You know, that's right. trust that's me, I right. worked out these scenarios. Um, right, yeah, I, I, I don't see job. a way around it other than to just flat out cut them. Unfortunately, right. designate that's them as right. a you know if you have to call. Them, well, actually, it doesn't matter if you designate them a post June first cut because he has avoidable year next year. But right. you know, yeah. there's no other way around it. And he and you're right. You know. There's no trade market because teams know what the giant situation is and they know that Bradbury's yeah. going to become available. So, hey, we'll just sit tight and wait until he becomes available. We don't have to yeah. give up anything. Absolutely. So they're smart. Mm-hmm. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but without the calories and without the sugar. Most Built Bars contain around 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and for net carbs and 17 grams of protein, and they taste great. Bill Bar offers nine amazing flavors, a nut and nut-free variety, plus a rotating limited-time offering of different flavors that changes up every so many weeks. Head on over to BuiltBar.com today to see what their current flavor lineup looks like and use our special promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your first order. Again, that code is LOCKED15. For 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Let us talk now about clean. Now, just a little background information before I have you talk about it. Um, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, has uh, made the headlines lately with the NFL. Um, You've had players such as uh, Steve Gleason, O.J. Briggins, uh, Tim Green, I think was recently diagnosed with with, uh, the disease. And you are involved with this company, Clean. It's spelled C-L-E-N-E. Yeah. And um, they are working on a new treatment, I believe, that mm-hmm. will help those who are stricken by ALS. Can you talk a little bit about that treatment? And for, actually, start off, if, if you would, let's, let's backtrack a little bit. What drew you to this? And then tell us a little bit about the treatment and the advancements that Clean is making. Well, um, I've been very fortunate to be blessed with really good health, to be able to play in the National Football League for seven seasons, to be able to cover it for 25 years as a as a broadcaster. Uh, I couldn't do that if I didn't have the brain, if I didn't have my faculties, if I didn't have my health. And so I'm keenly aware that, um, like a Steve Gleason uh, with the New Orleans Saints or an O.J. Brigance, with the Baltimore Ravens or Tim Green, who was a, a former broadcaster himself and could no longer call games. He's a phenomenal author, a great writer of novels and lost his ability to do the things that he loves to do um, because of the disease that we know as ALS. And so it's just really one of those things where um, I've watched so many young people lose their health to this disease. And then after reading and learning uh, about the reports um, that NFL players are four times more likely to um, get the disease of ALS and die from it. And so I partnered with Clean Nano Medicine and their CEO, Rob Etherington, to help get the message out about um, their new uh, drug that's in a late phase uh, clinical trial. Um, that hopefully will be uh, coming on the market soon. But really more importantly is to bring a greater awareness um, to the fact that there is a need for these new innovative treatments. We haven't had any drugs. It's been a long time since we've had any drugs or any new treatments 
come to the forefront to be made available for ALS patients. And so we want to uh, shine a bigger light on that and help people to understand that that there is a need and there are companies and executives and researchers really working very hard, uh, like companies that at clean nanomedicine to bring those new innovative treatments to the market. Now, uh, I, I apologize because I'm not a really, I didn't finish my medical degree, but dementia and Alzheimer's, that that's not related to ALS, is it? Or is it kind of? Well, it's th- those are what we call degenerative, neurodegenerative diseases. So in that sense, um, they're, they're in the same family of what we call tauopathies. Um, and so, um, but no, this treatment, what we're talking about is specifically um, for ALS. Gotcha. Okay. I asked because I lost both my parents to dementia. And yeah. uh, I know there's there's been advancements to be made there, but I just wondered if maybe this covered it as well. So, um, so you know, for those not familiar with ALS, can you just describe, you know, what it does, how it affects the person? You mentioned it affects the brain. I imagine it affects the motor skills as well at some point. I mean, can you just kind of Rob Etherington and our CEO at Nano um, at Clean Nano Medicine does a really good job of describing um, kind of what ALS is. It may, and just in layman's terms, is when the cells in our brain lose the energy. Um, think about maybe your 90-year-old grandmother, and maybe she moves a little slower and talks a little slower. Um, but she wasn't always that way. Like in her 20s and 30s, she was much like you and I having a conversation right now. And as we get older, our brain cells, they tend to lose energy. Think about ALS as a disease that robs those cells of, of energy way before their time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so now you have someone, just the ability to move, the ability to talk ability to breathe. Um, you're robbed of those neuro, those, uh, those motor skills um, in the brain. And so to have those cells lose energy, you're going to see someone slow down in terms of the processing, their ability to speak um, and talk and move um, in ways that uh, can be just uh, very heartbreaking and very tragic uh, when, you're, when you're young and you lose your vitality in, in, in the middle of your life. Is ALS related to CTE, which I know has been in the news a lot, especially with pro football players? Um, I I think there there are studies out there that that show some correlation, but but really CTE, just like you mentioned with dementia and Parkinson's, it's in the family of tauopathies. Um, It is considered a um, degenerative, neurodegenerative disease, but yet still... There's so much study that needs to be done on CTE that there is no strong correlation between CTE and uh, and ALS, um, other than the fact that there it's listed as a tauopathy and it's known to be also a, a neurodegenerative disease. And, you know, in, in case we have listeners out there who have family members going through this, what sounds like a really devastating disease, is there any way that they can participate in some of the studies that Clean is doing and get involved, you know, you know, donating maybe to ALS causes and stuff like that? Well, right now, um, they're in the final phase 
of, of the clinical trial for their new treatments. But you can go to the website just to find out more information about what Clean is doing to bring about these new innovative treatments and how they're expected to come to market and follow uh, what Clean is doing. Learn of their story and how and what they're doing in terms of uh, trying to find um, a cure or treatments for this disease. Treatments is probably the best way to define what they're working on. And Clean is an example of how executives and researchers are really focusing on developing much needed new treatments um, to fight ALS disease. So you can go to the website at clean.com, that's C-L-E-N-E.com to find out more. And of course, we'll have that website in our show notes in case anybody, you know, didn't write that down or anything like that. But, you know, watching a loved one, you know, just suffer like that, especially for with a disease for which there's no known cure or any yeah. way to kind of stop it from progressing. Mm-hmm. This sounds like it provides some hope for people who are stricken by ALS. Absolutely. And, and that's why you want to go to the clean website, because I think if you read about what clean nanomedicine and Rob Etherington and the people they are doing, I think it will provide you some hope. I think it will provide you some answers to some very serious questions. If you know someone uh, who's battling ALS disease, I think you'll come away feeling a lot better knowing that there's some very smart and talented people who are, who are working on solutions to the problem. Well, that's good to know because, you know, there are so many incurable diseases out there and to know that progress is being made on one that just totally affects the most important part of the body, which is the, the brain, the brain exactly. Absolutely. And, and uh, what would we be without our brains, right? Oh my goodness, right? I, I don't, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. And again, as somebody who lost two parents to dementia, I, and and you know, I'm getting up in age, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit there and I say, my God, what would I be like without my brain? You know, because I, you know, I do a lot of writing in addition to yeah. podcasting and everything Absolutely. like that. So I have yes. to do a lot of research. And yep. if I couldn't do that, mm-hmm. I might as well just, you know, call it a, a life. You know, so. And, and Patricia, uh, you and I both know because I host podcasts and radio shows and done television for 25 years. The amount of research that we have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Amount of reading and note taking and then the building of, of and creation of content, right? Mm-hmm the writing that takes place and the storytelling that you need to have. And to be able to do that expert extemporaneously, um, you know, and listen, as we get older, you have to stop down. Maybe you get a little slower, but to be able to, if you're losing that cognitive ability, yeah, it could be heartbreaking. There is no yes. doubt about it. It could be, it could be very heartbreaking because uh, we, we sometimes take our health for granted. Um, but uh, when we lose it prematurely, um, it really does hit home. And, and that's why the people at the Clean Nano Medicine are working so very hard to try to find a solution uh, to help people have more hope um, and understand that there's someone out there who's, uh, who's fighting and working on your behalf. Well, that's wonderful. And again, folks, that website is www.clean.com. That's spelled C-L-E-N-E. Check them out. Get the facts. Get some information Learn about this disease. Learn about what the folks at Clean Nanomedicine are doing. Really good stuff. Solomon, I can't thank you enough for your time, for coming on to talk about this, to talk Giants football, to talk the draft. This was just an absolute treat for me because I've long been an admirer of you. And, and um, you know, I hope to have the opportunity to speak to you again at some point. 
Well, and Patricia, first of all, thank you for having me. And thank you. Uh, I, I know I don't just speak for myself, but for all the people at Clean Nano Medicine, thank you for the opportunity to share this important information with your listeners and your viewers. Thanks for having me again. My pleasure. Giant fans, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, we'll be back again tomorrow with an all-new episode of the Locked on Giants podcast. Until then, everybody, have a fantastic day.